scripture today is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. All right. Good morning, church. I think uh, my mic needs to be turned on. I don't know if you can. Yeah. Uh, so this morning we're going to go through our, our next in the series of getting real. Um, this is sort of going to be a, an abbreviated, uh, sort of abbreviated lesson, just because of uh, our time constraints. And so, um, but I do want to give it sort of the uh, um, the due that it that it deserves. Um, so we're going to talk about commitment today. It's commitment choice. And uh, anytime I think about the concept of commitment, two things come up. A story about a pig and a chicken, which I may actually talk about. Um, but also this other piece, this other story that just really always sits in my mind. It's a story about Dawson, actually, when he was younger. Um, we went to camp, Camp Palomar. Camp Palomar was amazing, Christian camp. Uh, it had, like... Uh, paintball field and swimming pool and horseback riding and uh, a ropes course and I mean just everything under the sun. One of the key, one of the the gyms at this at this particular camp was the zip line. All right, uh, how many of you guys have ever been on zip line before? All right, I love zip lines. Never have an opportunity to go because I always exceed the weight limit. And um, I don't want to end up stuck in the middle somewhere and not find, uh, find my way home. So um, me and Dawson went up to this the first time we were there. He was young. Uh, and we went up to the tower. And you had to climb up this tower. And then they'd sit you on the corner with your legs dangling. And uh, they had a harness that you set into. But the harness uh, connected to this wheel thing. It went on the wire. There was about a foot and a half of cord. And then it broke into this harness that held you. Um, but when you're sitting on the edge, you're really close to the top of the, uh, of, of the harness. And so I was watching Dawson, and he had a hold of the rope right underneath the, um, the, the wheel that went on the steel cable. And uh, so the idea is you jump off, you let go, you sit into that harness, and you are off, right? And it's a really, really cool ride. Um, it's probably 200 feet, and then it ends up, you can touch a tire, and then you're really cool. And then you come back, and uh, you've done the zip line. Well, I run down to the other end to see Dawson come, and I look, and Dawson is still, after he got off the tower, holding on to the top right next to the wheel. So he's not sitting in the harness. He's holding himself up in his own weight because he doesn't know if he lets go. He's, he's got it, right? So he is just like in terror coming down this, this wire. And uh, when he gets done, I said, well, how was it? He goes, it was okay, but my arms are just so sore. He, he, never, he never let go and put his entire weight, right, into the harness. And um, what was meant to be a joyful ride became terrorizing. It became exhausting. And uh, that, that i got to tell you, that, that story always comes to mind when I want to start talking about commitment. Because when it comes to us committing ourselves to God, 
um, we often do ourselves a disservice. Instead of fully relying on him, we end up on our own strength trying to hold on. And what was meant to be a joyful ride ends up becoming miserable for us. Making a commitment to Christ, uh, a full-on commitment to God, uh, allows us to get out of this thing called the cycle of despair. So uh, a lot of different... uh, uh, a lot of different psychologies, a lot of different approaches talk about this, and they use different names, different words, but this is essentially the cycle of despair. When you are uh, trying to run your own life and you find that your life is a little bit stronger than you are, uh, when you struggle with a hurt habit or hang up, when you, for instance, struggle with drinking, um, there's a cycle of despair that you get in that's really hard to get out of. Um, say you're going along and you, you say, okay, I'm, you're kind of white-knuckling it, right? That's what a lot of people uh, talk about. They're under their own strength, their own wisdom, their own uh, courage. They're able to kind of resist for a while, and then they fall off the wagon and they end up drinking. And, of course, immediately their life is filled with what? With guilt. They feel guilty for falling off the wagon. Um, and so they, they try to get back on. They try, to, they try to just work their way through it, and lo and behold... Um, all their efforts are just are met with uh, failure and uh, anger begins to, to build. Eventually, anger turns into fear because once you realize something has you instead of you having it, um, you're, you're, you're liable to be exposed, you see. Um, if, if you can't handle it, if you can't stop doing what you're doing, then, well... Um, what happens when my boss finds out? What happens when my spouse finds out? What happens when my children or my church family find out I'm struggling with whatever habit it is? We, we talk about drinking. You can talk about uh, pornography. You can talk about shopping addiction. You can talk about codependency. You can talk about all different sort of things, a relationship addiction, all sorts of things, all hurts, habits, and hanging up. What, what if they find out fear begins to, to set in? Uh, and then you can't do anything about it, or at least what you do doesn't does it work? And then you slide into a depression where you can't feel or you don't feel better. And once you find yourself there, giving up, you fill your life with what? Guilt again. And guilt again leads to anger and anger leads to fear and fear leads to depression and depression leads to guilt and guilt leads to... And there's just this perpetual um, uh, spiraling out of control and further and further into the despair of trying to save yourself from something that you don't have the strength to save yourself from. And a lot of people find themselves in this cycle of despair because, like Dawson, they have tried to hold on with their own strength the whole time instead of relaxing, setting into the harness of God. Uh, Jesus said it this way, and as we think about this commitment choice, Jesus said it this way, blessed are the what? Meek. You know the word meek there doesn't mean weakness. Uh, we often think of meek. When I think of meek, what's the first image that comes to mind for you? When you say meek, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Anything? For me? What's that? Gentle. I didn't hear you. Gentle. Gentle, Okay. For me, it's a mouse. I don't know why. Like this picture of a mouse comes like to my head or, or a rabbit. Meek. As if meek is some sort of this small, little, tiny, gentle animal. You know, the word meek here um, in the Greek has reference to a mighty stallion. 
A stallion that is strong and, and uh, powerful and majestic. And yet all of that power and majesty and strength is actually kind of wasted if you can't keep it under control. And so it's the idea of strength that's been harnessed. Strength that is under a bridle. Strength that is used in a productive, useful manner. Meekness isn't weakness. It's power under control. Meekness, I would suggest, is a life on the zip line when you've let go and you sit into the harness. And all of a sudden, the despair and that cycle of despair is broken because you're no longer trying under your own strength and leadership to get through these things in life. You're relying on God to get there. You see, getting out of that cycle of despair really takes the, the steps that we've been talking about. It takes us, number one, realizing we're not God, that our life is out of control, that we are powerless in and of ourselves to keep ourselves from the tendency of doing the wrong thing. Uh, it's also a reminder, uh, and we have to make the, the second choice, which is saying not only do I, uh, am I sorrowful, mournful of the, the events and my strength, but I'm also mournful of the fact that um, these things are a reality in my life. And so not only do I realize God exists, you take another step and you say, I earnestly believe that God exists, the big leap that I matter to him, and the even bigger leap that he has the power to help me recover. And then... Let go of that rope. You sit into the harness that God has created for you. And you consciously choose to commit all of our life and our will to Christ's care and control. You see, it's not just enough to, to say, I have a problem. I know God's the answer. It also takes a step of faith, a, a step of commitment, a, a moment where you are not just... Holding on on your own strength, white knuckling it through life, it takes a commitment to step in and allow God to do his work. And this morning, I want to talk about what that looks like. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my what? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You know, it's fascinating. When we read this, all of a sudden in my brain, in my mind, I start thinking, but what about this or what about that? Or my life is tough and, and all of this. You notice it didn't say, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and the road will be easy. And the path will be a, will be a piece of cake. You know, a lot of times we, we think of the peace that God wants to bring our life, or at least we want the peace that God brings our life, is by changing um, the fight that the dog is in. When most of the time, God is dealing with the fight that's in the dog. Most of the time, the peace that we have in our life isn't the absence of trials or challenges or problems, but the presence of peace within them. This yoke he talks about is not a life without a zip line. It's a life sitting in the yoke, trusting God. And when we trust, there is healing, there is rest. We learn from Him. There's rejuvenation, and there's change. So why would we not want to do this, right? Why do we resist so often this rest, this harness 
Well, let me give you a couple reasons. Now, I've taken out the scriptures so that we can go through this in a, in a reasonable pace. If you want some scriptures to back up these uh, bullet points, come and see me. Um, but I want to make sure that we have uh, enough time at the end of the day. So pride. Pride is a big issue. Pride is essentially deciding to hold on to the rope instead of allowing God to, to take you the whole way. I've got this. I'm pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I know you want to be my Lord and Savior. You can help me at the end. But until then, right? Have you guys ever heard statements like this? Pray like it's all up to God and live like it's all up to what? You. That's a quick way to find yourself in the despair loop. Pray like it's all up to God. Live like it's all up to you. Fully. Live like it's all up to God. Pray like it's all up to God. Because it's all up to God. All of it. Pride is, are those little, those little stories we tell ourselves about why I can handle this. Pride is that thing that says, I, I've got this. So many things that get in the way sometimes with this commitment that we make. Or this lack of commitment. Guilt. Sometimes we, we find that ourselves, we even have a hard time loving ourselves. <laughs> ever been so disgusted with yourself? Have you ever done something or struggled with something and you just like, I cannot believe I've done that again. What, what does this say about me? If it were me, I wouldn't forgive me. If it were me, I would, how can I, we struggle loving ourselves. And, and, and so sometimes we, we think, well, yeah, I'll trust God, but can he read, does he really know what he's getting? When he, I, you know, this, is, this comes out in different ways. You ever heard this conversation? I've had conversations with people who've grown up in church, and they're like, well, I want to come back to church, but I don't know, man. I'm, if, did you see my life? Do you see how messed up it is? And, and, and the notion is, is I'm doing something good on behalf of God by keeping myself away from his people. Like, God, you don't understand. Uh, and, you know, I'm doing him a favor. I, you know, guys don't want me around because I'm telling you, I'm telling you my life, my, my choices, my decisions, as if they're kind of helping God out by not showing up. That, that's what guilt looks like a lot of times. I'm not good enough to be there. I'm not good enough to be a part of the people. I'm not good enough to be. No, no, no. Guilt, guilt gets in the way of really letting go, sitting into that harness. Sometimes, sometimes it's fear. For a lot of different reasons. And one of the things, one of the, one of the things I think, think people fear the most about God is that they know God can't be fooled. And the only pathway to peace is through the conflict. And so they're like, I'd rather live in my delusion than actually deal with the junk in my life because it's going to hurt. And so they're fearful that God's holding them up. That they're fearful. They don't trust the fact that the harness is in fact gentle. That they are going to find peace. They're fearful of that. Sometimes people don't make a commitment to Christ because, well, they're, they're afraid they're going to be turned into a religious nut. I have a lot of friends like that. A lot of my, my friends that don't, aren't of faith, they, they, they unfortunately have in their mind pictures of what Christianity looks like. And so much of the time it looks like Joel Olstein, right? Big plastic smile, everything is happy. If you're, if you're faithful, you're, you're wealthy. If you're not faithful, you're poor. Or it's some notion of, of this poor, poor, pitiful me. I have to be sorrowful about life. 
if I'm a Christian, I have a sour look on my face and a, a face and a, and a sour disposition, or I have to be in this political party, or I have to be in that political party, or I have to take up this cause or that cause. They have these, these fears about what it means to follow Christ. And so we don't make a commitment to him. And then, there, of course, there are times when we just worry. What will it look like if I am? If I really make, if what you're telling me is this next choice is surrendering all of my life and all of my will into Christ's control, that means my decision making belongs to him. My planning belongs to him. My finances belong to him. My relationships belong to him. My past, my future, all of those things belong to him. We worry about that. And then we wonder. We wonder. We wonder, do I have enough faith? We wonder, I don't really understand how God moves and behaves. I don't really understand the Bible. I don't understand theology. So until I can get my mind wrapped around that, I'm just going to hold off here. I'm just going to wait because I can't figure this out over here. Sometimes people will tell you, I just don't know if I believe everything. Sometimes not because they can't figure it out, because it just seems too good to be true, right? You're telling me my faith in Jesus is what allows me to be saved? Is that easy? What? Have you seen my life? I'm always reminded of the story in Scripture where the man says, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. I love that. Don't you love that story is in there? I mean, I, I love the fact that there's a story in there. There's a dude like me who says, I do believe, but I don't know if I believe everything I believe. You know what I believe? <laughs> I don't know if I believe everything I believe. And God said, that's enough. You know, the story of Christianity isn't the story of amazing faith. Notice we don't have a song like that, right? Amazing faith. No, what is it? Amazing grace. It's not amazing faith. What's the old story? Uh, strong faith in a weak bridge? Bad idea. But weak faith in a strong bridge. Even faith as small as a what? mustard seed. Don't let your doubts about how God is going to do it or how God can put up with you keep you from letting go and sitting in the harness and making this commitment to Christ. So what does it look like to make this commitment? Let me give you a couple of things. Uh, actually, before we do that, let me, let me talk to you about what it often looks like because it's sometimes disorienting. Um, and, and this is true for those inside the church who have grown up in faith and those who have come to faith later. Um, some, sometimes it's actually even harder for those who have grown up in faith to, to realize uh, what change should look like or can look like. Because they often find all the, have all the questions before they have all the answers, or have all the answers before they have the questions. Um, they're surprised uh, 
that life sometimes throws them a curveball or becomes really, really difficult because after all, I've been in the faith for so long. I've been going to church. I, I've done all the right things. Why is my life sort of un unraveling? Um, I know of at least, off the top of my head, three people who later gave up faith because they lost their jobs or their, or their businesses or their careers even though they were faithful. As if their faithfulness was somehow connected to their success in life. Um, uh, this is a, a good illustration from the text I thought was, it was really insightful. It's in your bulletin. Um, basically, commitment to Christ takes place. When, when we cross that line, when we say, okay, God, I'm yours, um, it's more really God coming into your life than you trying to get where he's at. And so the, the stories about um, D-Day and the way that um, um, these islands were taken uh, during the push against uh, across the Pacific, um, it, it's fascinating. Um, they, they, would, they would get to an island, and uh, what, what they would do to, to get uh, into these islands and to take the island in World War II is they would start with bombs, right? And they would just pummel the island with bombs. Uh, this was called a softening of the island. Um, which is fascinating because you guys have seen the movies and the records, uh, just how lack of softness there was when they actually landed uh, in these places. But there was a softening that would take place with these bombs. Uh, and then uh, the, the, the troops would come aboard and they would establish what's known as a beachhead. Um, a place where they were at um, sort of a base of operations. Um, even though the island was still under enemy control, there was a, there was a beachhead. There was a place. They were, they were on the soil. And it was theirs. And in World War II, once our forces found a beachhead, we never lost a single island the whole time. It was inevitable. Once the beachhead was there, there might still be war. There might still be chaos. But it would eventually be liberated. And the guy said uh, in the text says, this is like salvation for a lot of people. Our lives get bombed, right? There's a softening process that takes place. But before we come to Christ, um, the bomb is simply the consequences of trying to do life without him. Trying to do life as God. Trying to take things into your own control. And bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb lands until you're softened up. And next thing you know, you realize you need help. And Christ comes into your life, and then everything immediately changes, and everything is good again, right? That's not how it works. But not only did our military forces never lose an island, God doesn't lose islands either. And once the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and Christ has become a part of your life, it's going to be... It's going to be a battle to take back that ground that you've lost. It's not going to be easy, but God will be there with you. It will happen. It is inevitable. What he begun to do in you, Paul says, he will complete on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So there's a softening. There's a beachhead. And this is important because a lot of times... 
a lot of times people will see that the way forward is filled with, with problems and, and challenges and they give up. They, they, they consider holding on to themselves because I'd rather hold on than have to go through the valley of the shadow of death instead of allowing to trust in and to know that there's going to be battles, there's going to be enemy-occupied territory, but eventually, over time, God will bring liberty. God will bring recovery to your life. That's true. And we have a part to play as well. Here are the five things we need to do, or four things we need to do. Number one, we need to trust God's Son as Savior. That's the first thing we have to do. If you want to find recovery with this higher power, it's not just saying higher power. Um, whatever you are, the spirit, the universe, the, the wind, the breeze, the doorknob, the can, it is Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior. It's Trusting in God's Son as Savior. Number two, it's trusting in God's Word as your standard. It's looking not to your past, not to, um, not to your friends, not to uh, pop psychology, but looking to the Word of God to define right and wrong, to inform us about the life we're called to live. It's about um, trusting God's will as your purpose instead of your purpose as God's will. Right? Oh, man, do we get that backwards sometimes. Amen? God's will as your purpose, not your purpose is God's will. And finally, it's a matter of God's power and relying on God's power as your strength. Uh, there's a repetition in Celebrate Recovery Circles and Recovery Circles uh, in general is that it was your best thinking and your best strength and your own power that got you into the situation. So why on earth, when you're trying to get out of it, would you rely on your best thinking, your best power, your own strength? Makes no sense. If your best, strengthening, your best thinking and strength got you into the problem, you're going to have to rely on something besides yourself to get you out. That's what this is all about. These are the commitments we have. Realize we're God. Number two, uh, and uh, earnestly believe that God exists. And number three, commit to Christ. He'll make a beachhead in your life. Recovery will begin to take place. And before long, there'll be freedom. The trick is making those commitments. Okay, you guys ready for the pig and chicken joke? And then we'll be done. I think this is appropriate since we're going to have barbecue later. That's right, pig and chicken joke. So, um, a pig and a chicken are walking down the street. This is how all the best jokes start. And they're walking down the street, and they go across, and they see that this hospital has burnt down. And they are besides themselves. Right? This hospital's burnt down, and they want to do something about it, right? Uh, they didn't know, unfortunately, that uh, um, Applebee's has a fundraiser in the morning, right? So they, they're like, what do I do? How do I raise money for this hospital? And so they start trading ideas, and the chicken's like, hey, why don't we do a pancake breakfast? The, or the pig's like, hey, why don't we do a pancake breakfast? And the chicken's like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but that's kind of played out, you know? Everyone does pancake breakfast. Chicken goes, I know, why don't we do... Eggs and bacon. And the pig's like, well, wait a second. And the chicken's like, what's the problem? He goes, well, your idea, my idea was okay, but your idea just calls for you to make a contribution. It calls for me to make a total commitment. That's my, okay. That's my chicken and pig joke. I'm calling that as a nursing home. Come on. 
It'll hit. It'll be a big hit there. Um, no commitment, Jay John. Here's the story. Here's the point. Oftentimes we understand commitment, and what we really are talking about are just contributions. I go to church. I read my Bible. I, I come to work day. Sometimes. I. <laughs> yes, I just did that. Um, I do this, I show up, I serve, I do these things, I do that things. Just put those aside for a second. Those are just contributions. Does he have you? Does God have you? As Paul would say, do you consider yourself as one who's brought from death to life? Does he have you? Don't point to your works. Answer that from your heart. And until he has you, things will be tough. Worse than they are. But when he does, when you're fully invested in that harness, there's freedom. Let's stand. Let's end with the song. What if I had you? 
Listen with this prayer. Oh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change.